The podcast you are about to hear tells the story of a Katsi man named Slumuk. Members of the Katsi First Nation have been instrumental in us telling the story properly. We acknowledge that the story of Slumuk originates from the ancestral lands of the Katsi people. What you're about to hear, you may find graphic and violent in nature. Listener discretion is advised. While awaiting his ultimate demise, Slumuk told Peter Pierre that he had took gold out of the pit region only on one occasion. He said he had met Indians from the head of Harrison Lake. They gave him a handful of bullets molded from gold, which they had found in the Third Canyon. Slumuk went up the lake to look for the gold. He got up there all right, but he didn't know if it was the right place. The men told him it was on the backside, just on the right. They said he could dig it out with a penknife. Slumuk went up into these canyons. He was tired, so he lay on his canvas blanket spread on a bent-shaped rock on the west side of the river. The rock was covered with a rust-colored moss. That's where Slumuk slept that night. When he woke up around 5 a.m., he could barely see the sun rising over the three mountain peaks because it was covered by the eastern wall of the canyon. A funny fog rose up to his waist. Slumuk sat and waited for the fog to subside. He thought, I wonder if this could be the place, because he had never seen fog like this before. And when the sun came up, Slumuk looked at the moss and saw a beautiful deep yellow color, like gold. He got his knife and dug some out. Underneath it is what he came for. Slumuk pulled out his canvas poke bag and he filled it with gold until it was about three quarters full. He covered everything up again with the moss, memorized the markings on the mountainside and the location of the source, so he'd be able to return next time. With a bag of gold nuggets in tow, Slumuk then went down to New Westminster the next morning, but the store wasn't open. I'm Crew Williams and this is Dead Man's Curse, Slumuk's Gold. Episode eight, going for the gold. On this journey through history, you know I'm your guide, along with the rest of the team from the Adventure TV docuseries, Dead Man's Curse. We're often joined by a host of experts and members of the Katsi and Stolo First Nations to sort fact from fiction and give Slumak a voice from beyond the veil. If this is your first time joining me on this journey, I recommend you go back to the beginning as we investigate Slumak's life, the curse, walk in his footsteps, and I'm sure you've guessed by the title of this episode today, we're focusing on the infamous gold. There's a beautiful, deep yellow-colored moss I call. And he peeled it. And there it was. And he got his knife and dug some out. That's Amanda Charnley. Throughout the series, we've shared stories about Slumak that her father, Peter Pierre, told her. Charnley or Aunt Mandy, as she was affectionately known, has since left us, but her voice and her stories remain. Some of those stories were included in Don Wade's books, and some were recorded straight to video in the 1970s. She's like the sweetest old lady, and it's different hearing something come out of somebody's mouth rather than reading it, you know? Samach went up the lake to look for this gold. He went up, 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 you know, 
these canyons in a certain canyon. Charlie wasn't a scammer or a fraudster. She was simply telling her family's story. An oral history. And it's the only clue we have on film. The unedited truth as she knew it. The story you heard at the beginning of this episode, of Slumak going up into the canyons and above the clouds, finding chunks of gold that he could carve out with a penknife, was what Charnley heard from her father. In episode six of the podcast, we learned that the night before Slumak was hanged, he drew a map for Pierre, showing him where he could find the gold in the mountains around Pit Lake. This was one example of many that showed Slumak was actually quite committed to his community, despite what the authorities, the press, or even the legend had to say. We also know that Slumak and Pierre destroyed the map. It was the only physical evidence that Slumak had actually found gold. But before they did, Pierre memorized every creek, every crag, every curve of that map. For this portion of the story, we're turning it over to our star researcher from Dead Man's Curse, Taylor Starr, who originally came across the Charlie tapes in her research. Well, this is oral history coming directly from someone that's First Nations, not the newspapers. So I feel this is validation, a voice I can trust. In one of the interviews from the 1970s, the interviewer asked Amanda Charnley if her father made any copies of the map Slumac drew for him. Yes, she responded, quote, They got burnt. He made the first map and I copied that map. I traced it from his map and my brother put it in a box and put it away in his house. Many years after that, the house got burnt and they lost everything, end quote. The house fire would have happened sometime in the 1930s. But before that, there were maps. There was evidence. There was gold. So when I first heard the Amanda Charnley tapes, the things that stuck out to me was the harshness of the train. But I knew I had to get out there to find the gold. So for me, I needed to work with somebody who had been in that region and been in those areas and knew how to get out safe. That's where Adam Palmer came in. Everything in Amanda Charnley's interview is coming to life. Everything is showing up now. Everything she points out, everything she talks about in her interview is now revealing itself in real time. It's, it's real. She, what she talks about, there's direct evidence now that leads us to believe that this is the area that she was talking about in the interview. Adam Palmer, the mountaineer on our team, and I both agreed it was all about finding the route that Slumuk took to find the gold. Charlie gave us a lot of key bits of information to the story. Now, I've lived in the Pacific Northwest almost my whole life, but I'd never seen rusty red moss before. We know that in the Northern Hemisphere, moss generally grows on the north side of rocks and trees. That's the shadier side that moss is like. So we put those clues together to get an idea of the area and direction. Then we looked at unique floral structure of rusty red moss covering the bench that Slumuk would have slept on. This is the stuff he tore up to find gold underneath. So here we are going to these places that none of us except for Adam had ever been before. It was an adventure, it was a rush, it was excitement, this is something you won't see on TV. <laughs> but at our lowest point, we were literally almost getting turned around in the middle of the woods. And Adam came across a little divot in the ground. And we didn't think it was much. 
He jumped inside. He tried to see if there's something in there. But Don said it could be a cache, something that the old timers would use to store their supplies, their equipments, and even their gold in. So once he said gold, I was hooked. I didn't want to quit. I didn't want to stop. I literally jumped in that hole head first in order to reach the bottom and pull out what was ever inside. And I didn't stop with what was inside. I went through the floor. And after pulling up the flattened stones on the bottom of the cache, we came across a little piece of something that slipped in between the rocks. We pulled it out. Don held it in his hands. And it could possibly be Slumok's penknife. I mean, this is the stuff that legends are made of, and we were literally holding it in our hands. Very, very few humans had ever been into this place, and it all lines up to the legend. So yeah, I knew we were hot on the trail. Slumok could have actually have held it in his hands. To me, it was like finding the Holy Grail. I pulled it out of the earth, and at first, it didn't even seem real. I was so caught up in the moment, I just passed it on to Don and was like, check this out. I thought it was an arrowhead or something like that, but when he pulled it out, <laughs> it was a knife that a person from way back when had held and used in their hands. It was like unearthing the past and actually holding it in your hands. It was a little magical, to be honest with you. These are the kind of clues that Charlie's story, Peter Pierre's story, Slumuk's story have led us to. Clues that make the legend real and bring us one step closer to the gold. Slumak told Peter Pierre that if he needed money, the map would lead him to the gold. Amanda Charlie told Waite that Peter Pierre knew the terrain that Slumak drew like the back of his hand. They had destroyed the map, but Peter Pierre committed it to memory. When asked if her father ever found gold, she responded, quote, He did try to go, many years after the old man was hanged, but he met with an accident. He went to the second canyon and was going to jump across a creek, and when he jumped on a boulder in the middle of the creek, he slipped and broke his hip, and they had to carry him back. His wife went with them and was there when they carried him back to the canoe and brought him home to New Westminster and the hospital. And that was the last time he went. End quote. Well, one thing we know is that Pierre went looking and failed to find any gold. But did he tell anyone about Slumut's secret? Or was it well known? Rain Pierre is an educator, member of the Katsi First Nation, and descendant of Slumuk. When we filmed for the TV show, we went to the BC archives in Victoria to research Slumuk's story, and we scrolled through court records and registries from the past. Oh, whoa, what was that? But I swear I just saw Slumuk. Right there. Slumak Mining Company. Here, check that out. Slumak Mining Company. Does it say like when? 1897. Oh. So it's created seven years after he was hung. That's when we discovered a registration certificate for a new company. Of the three listed owners, one of them, Frederick Glover, was the editor of the Daily Columbian during Slumak's trial. His brother-in-law just so happened to be Slumok's defense counsel, Thomas Clive Atkinson. And the third owner, Mr. B.W. Shiles, the mayor of the city of New Westminster at the time of Slumok's execution. 
right after his name and using him to make money. Like, that's pretty messed up. This is info that I've never even heard of. Absolutely. Here's evidence that people were just monetizing off of his name and who he was. And this is like the beginning of them twisting the story of him and creating a legend that wasn't even the truth. In our investigation, we've used many articles published in the Daily Columbian. The newspaper reported relentlessly about the ferocious Slumuk manhunt in the trial. The man at the helm was related by marriage to Slumuk's defense attorney. If that wasn't enough, he went on to create the Slumuk Mining Company, along with the mayor of the town. Other than this mention of the Slumuk Mining Company in 1897, on paper, there's no further mention of the company's operations and certainly nothing about the Slumuk Mining Company finding any gold. You know, after 20 years of literally living and dreaming about this legend, for me, this is plain as day a cover-up. And I always thought it was weird that the richest family in New Westminster paid for a steamship, but now it kind of makes sense. Because in those times, if you wanted it, you take it. Nothing stopped the West from being one especially when gold was involved. Think about what I just said. We are talking about some of the biggest families, some of the biggest businessmen dealing with one of the biggest industries Canada's have, all coming together to take advantage of one man and make sure that they get his gold. Seeing this all line up really makes you think what was really going on and how big does this mystery really get? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Brian Attenson is a historian and co-author of the book, Slumox Gold. I was born and raised in the Vancouver area, raised in Burnaby, and the mountains were always there. Like Adam, myself, and the rest of the team, Brian said he was first captured by the legend in childhood and later by Slumox's story. I was nine years old sitting around a campfire and listening to ghost stories and so on. I'm 74 now, so that means 65 years. That's an entire career of uh, following the Slumac legend. He says the key to this mystery may lie right after Slumac's arrest. We have a six-year gap between Slumac's hanging in January of 1891 and the Slumac company put an ad in the paper in 1897. That uh, six-year gap is, is really fascinating. And so here we are now. The man is captured. He's taken to court. There's no mention of uh, gold or anything like that. My maintaining has always been that if there was the slightest mention of gold associated with Slumac, it would have made the news of the day. And it did not. On November 22nd, 1901, the province newspaper out of Vancouver published an article about a famous Australian prospector named Clifford Wellington who arrived in British Columbia looking for more fortune. Quote, a report says that Wellington is searching for a hidden treasure, which is supposed to exist 
on one of the creeks at the head of Pitt Lake. According to an old Indian legend, this treasure consists of a large number of nuggets, which were buried in the earth by a member of the Pitt Lake tribe of Indians, who was at the time a fugitive from justice. This Indian, before his death, revealed the hiding place of this treasure to his nephew, who was on the eve of starting to look for it when he met with an accident and was prevented from going after the treasure. The nephew also gave the directions to the secret hiding place to an old miner from whom it is stated Wellington has received his information, end quote. Even without naming names, we can pretty much guess that the fugitive from justice was Slumuk, and the nephew was Peter Pierre. And the article says Pierre gave instructions to an old miner, also unnamed. Clifford Wellington basically admitted to the newspaper that he believed there was a gold source near Pitt Lake. This was before the, quote, old Indian legend and curse even had time to take root outside of the world of prospecting. We'll come back to Wellington's experience in a future episode. But for now, I guess you might be wondering, who else could have known something? Almost two years later, on November 8th, 1903, the Daily Colonist reported that, quote, a rich placer claim has been located in the Pitt Lake District. George Moody of Westminster is the man who could tell all about it, but he declined to give away any information regarding the locality. The facts, as far as known, are that Mr. Moody has returned with $1,200 in coarse gold, which he says he secured from the gravel of a creek, end quote. Let me pause here, because the article mentions a familiar name, Moody, which we'll get into in a minute. It also mentions the term placer claim. And thankfully, I'm a prospector, and I can tell you what that means. Placer claims are a claim that is in an area where gravels are deposited by the river-flowing waters, which hide gold. A prospector would then scoop up the gravels, clean them in a pan, sift off the sand and dirt in order to expose the gold or nuggets underneath. A placer deposit is what we all search for. That means it's an area of low-lying, usually like a little divot or a riffle or a boulder or something that stops the flow of gold from continuing down the river. That's where you find the placer deposits. That's where the gold starts to add up. A bench deposit is on the sides. The bench is where the old rivers used to be. So when the water was at its highest point and it was flowing through, it was in a different location where the low river water is now. You can sometimes find some of the ancient benches that have deposits of gold, probably from around the dinosaurs' times, for all we know. At the end of the day, all of them have gold. All of them fall under the claim of a placer claim. Based on what Slumok told Peter Pierre, we believe he may have found a bench deposit. Kind of like what I said, it's what happens when gold flakes and small chunks accumulate in a dry creek bed that at some point had drained into the valley. Slumok would have probably been able to pull out gold from this deposit with his bare hands. Now, about that familiar name. The article continues, quote, Mr. Moody's a very trustworthy man of Indian extraction, but possessed of no wealth in money or chattels. The fact that he came back from Pitt Lake with a vegetable can full of gold dust is sufficient evidence that he struck rich placer diggings near home. 
end quote. The man mentioned in this article had the same name as the man Slumuk's defense team tried to get as a witness during his trial. Was it the same man? We don't know for sure, but it seems possible that Moody and Slumuk's trial could still be alive in 1903 when this article came out. The bigger question is, was this gold in the article Slumuk's gold? Slumuk's name wasn't connected to gold in the press until 1915. 24 years after his death. An article at the time mentioned that prospectors, Walter Jackson and Wilbur Armstrong, went into the pit range in search of, quote, Slumuk's mine, end quote. We'll come back to Walter Jackson in a future episode, too. In the meantime, the legend of Slumuk's lost mine got a boost on August 8, 1926, some 35 years after his execution. An article published in the Sunday Province newspaper said that, quote, Slumuk lived like a hermit and murdered everyone that ventured into his territory. Slumuk's name means rain, and when he died, the rain was over. The rain of countless tears shed by the relatives of those he had murdered, end quote. As we've mentioned a few times, the press painted a much different picture of Slumuk than we found in our investigations. That same newspaper went on to report Quote, Slumok died, and with him died the secret of a great gold mine somewhere up in that wild Pit Lake country. Slumok was not given to talking, however, and he never boasted about the number of scalps he had taken. End quote. By 1939, the legend of Slumok's gold was in full force. The Saturday Province, the same newspaper that had slandered Slumok 13 years earlier, published an article about a, quote, half-breed. Red River Indian named Slumuk, who had been prospecting in the Pit Lake Mountains for a number of years, and in the late 90s began to show every indication of having struck it rich. Coming to New Westminster frequently with a well-filled poke of nuggets. And that he spent his money freely, but was careful not to divulge its source, despite the urging of his cronies. End quote. In this article, Slumuk was called a half-breed just like Louis B., and that he spent money freely in the brothels and gambling houses of New Westminster, squandering treasures from a creek whose, quote, banks are lined with yellow virgin gold that can be gathered in handfuls, pieces as large as walnuts, end quote. Now, personally, I've never seen that much gold come out of anywhere, especially a creek in BC, so I figured it was coming out from a mother load. That's like a vein of gold within the earth, but all these stories emerged decades after Slumuk died. One of the reasons the legend has a life of its own is there's a lot of information and speculation without lots of obvious evidence. Slumuk's life ended on the gallows because he shot Louis B. But his story lives on in great part because he found the gold. But exactly where and how did he find it? One of Amanda Charnley's stories mentioned a group of indigenous people of the Port Douglas area, just over 40 kilometers northwest of Pitt Lake, who told Slumuk about the gold, even gave him a few treasures of proof. Now, the indigenous people of Port Douglas were the ones that really sold me on the story of this entire journey. When I heard that they were just out hunting along their pathways, coming towards the Pitt Lake region, they came across this shiny gold and carved it out? Not for its market value, but to use it as bullets. When I heard that story, I'm like, they've caught golden bullets? I mean, 
That's a lot of gold up there. Brian Attenson says the idea isn't far-fetched. So the question arises, uh, how did the Port Douglas folks end up with gold bullets and why would they? Uh, after all, if they shot a bullet, it would be gone forever. Was it a trinket? Was it a toy? Uh, was it something that they created like an earring or uh, a bracelet or something like that? And then gave it to Slumac, uh, knowing its value, but gave it to him as a thank you for whatever work he'd done, perhaps hunting, uh, bringing in some game and so on uh, for them, uh, delivering something nobody knows. I believe that Slumac could have had gold bullets from the Port Douglas people. No problem at all. The story of Port Douglas people with their golden bullets intrigued me. On top of the legend of Slumux sprinkling New Westminster with walnut-sized gold nuggets from a source worth billions. Brian says over the years, many others have risked their lives for a piece of Slumux pie. People theoretically started looking for the lost Slumac gold uh, in the late 1890s and then more energetically throughout uh, the, the aughts and the teens and the 20s and 30s and 40s. Now, anecdotally, suppliers are quoted as saying, you know, I, I did 40 people last week who were going up in the bush. Uh, and so we don't know exactly how many have gone. There are rumors um, and there, there, there's reporting that perhaps 23 or maybe 40 or 50 or 60 people have died while searching for the mine. There have certainly been a lot of searches up in the Pit Lake area as uh, people have gone in, the search and rescue people have gone in to uh, pull out an overdue person and so on. So we know that a certain number of people have never come back from their quests. The word is, the word on the street anecdotal is that thousands of people have searched for this over the years. Uh, Pin that down to individuals with names and so on, impossible to do. But we've found a few individuals and names, more than a few, in fact. In an excerpt from his book, Slumox Gold, Brian offers us a handful of clues of who some of these individuals might have been. Logging companies have carried on operations in the past at various locations in the Pit Lake area, and some still do. When we researched our 1972 edition, we found a report that Slumac once worked for one of those companies as a hunter. The report claimed that he would leave camp, return from an unknown location in an hour with fresh meat and a handful of gold nuggets. Now, one location mentioned is about halfway between Squamish and Pit Lake. This story concerns an old prospector who lived for a time in Burnaby. His home was on a well-used trail. Travelers would frequently tell him of a gold mine in the northwest area of Pit Lake. The trail into the mine was fairly well marked for quite a distance, and then it suddenly disappeared. Now, those familiar with the trail knew that it picked up again just a few feet from this point, but its beginning was obscured by heavy brush. The second trail continued for a time until it too disappeared, only to pick up in a third trail nearby. This frustrating situation repeated itself all the way to the mine, and the few people who knew of the deliberate tricks in the trail found it easily, whereas others, of course, became befuddled and gave up. Apparently, the old prospector began to frequent the area. He once came across another prospector who had broken his leg and was near death because of a gangrenous infection. The dying prospector had with him a bag of gold nuggets and told of the fabulously rich find that he had made. He described it as being up so high that nothing grows. As you stand by it, you can see the pit lake in the distant southeast. 
He gave directions to the old prospector and mentioned that the first person to find the mine had been an Indian man. The old prospector died without ever finding the mine. So, Brian just told us about two unnamed prospectors. One with a gruesome injury who eventually died, either with golden hand or none at all. And before that, someone extremely close to Slumok went looking for the gold with permission and ended up seriously injured. Then there was the Slumok Mining Company, which disintegrated like dust in the wind. Casualty of the curse? This is Fatsy territory and this is their living room. If you misbehave in here, you're gonna have consequences. How did what Slumok told Peter Pierre get passed down through the decades? How did all those prospectors know to go looking? You have several characters during this time period. Walter Jackson is one of them. He wasn't necessarily popular as a prospector, but his letter, the so-called Jackson letter, is what became popular. And that's kind of almost the centerpiece of the legend now. Remember, I told you that the official record might not be all there is to the story. Sometimes the official record has to be corrected. Sometimes records go missing. And so do people. All this and more as we travel deeper into the legend of Slumok to uncover the truth behind the dead man's curse. Thank you for joining me and special thanks to Taylor Starr and Brian Attenson for their work on this episode. Dead Man's Curse, Slumox Gold is written by Ernest White II and Dila Velasquez. Our producers are Jessica Young and Dila Velasquez. Editing and sound design by Rob Johnston and Rosalind Kofor. Our associate producers are Valerie Hold Mershon and Gail Starr. Our indigenous cultural and heritage consultant is Gail Starr. Our executive producers are Chris Duncombe, Ernest White II, Michael Francis, Tim Hardy, and David Way. Dead Man's Curse is a curious cast and great Pacific media production. 